right, all right. How we doing this morning, friends? Man, y'all seem tired from all the pancakes. How we doing this morning, friends? Good, 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 good. Hey, we're going to be in the book of Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 3 today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Again, that's Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Uh, we're going to be going all the way through verse 21. So I'll give you a couple seconds to do that. Love hearing the pages of Bibles turn. And as you get there, uh, a story for you. Um, I mentioned yesterday that I've been in youth ministry. I've been a youth pastor for a couple years now. And so that means that I have uh, been a part of some incredible things and I've done some super fun things. So if you're uh, part of a youth group or anything like that, maybe you've done these things as well. So I've done the all-nighters at trampoline uh, places. I've chugged two-liter bottles of soda. I have taken everything that was in the church uh, closet, blended it together, and drank it for the sake of a game. Anybody done something like that before? Hopefully not. Uh, but I've done some really, really fun things, some really awesome things, but I've also done some really, uh, really dumb uh, things. Again, if you're still looking, Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Uh, one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever done was uh, really, really early in my time in ministry, uh, I wanted to uh, preach a really powerful sermon on the book, uh, or on, on the story of David and Goliath. Uh, anybody familiar with the story of David and Goliath? Perfect. You can put your hands down. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time studying for this message. I stayed up all night and uh, just dedicated a lot of time to making sure that I can get the point across. There are some really powerful uh, points that you can make in that story about God's faithfulness and how he used uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so I spend a lot of time studying for this message, and the day comes, and I'm ready to speak uh, to my, my youth group, and I get this really, really awful idea. Uh, I thought it was incredible at the time, but I get this really bad idea. And uh, that was, um, well, it was around this time six years ago, so in October, so it was like the spooky season, right? And I thought, you know what would be really cool that would really help people understand uh, the point of this message? Uh, I am going to ask one of my senior students to uh, hang out outside while I'm teaching this message. And I'm going to give him a, uh, uh, what, are the, what are those things called, a little ski mask, and I'm going to give him a little rubber knife. And what I'm going to do when it comes time for David to kill Goliath, sorry if I just spoiled that for you, uh, I'm going to have him barge inside the room and he's going to run towards me in the middle of this sermon. At the same time, I'm going to have my people that are in charge of music, they're going to be in the back, and they're going to play that scary sound. You know what I mean? Like when something crazy happens in a movie, and it's like, -da! You, know, you know what I'm going to talk about? Yeah. And so I say, okay, well, I'm going to make this happen. Uh, the guy's going to come in. He's going to try and attack me. And then for the sake of a story or an illustration, I'm going to have a stone, and I'm going to throw it at this guy. And he's going to fall in front of me, and everybody's going to be like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. And then they're really going to understand the point of this story. Does that make sense? And so this is what happens. I get up in front of my, uh, my kids and I'm teaching this message and it's all going great. And then we get to the point of the story where David is going to kill Goliath. And everything goes according to plan. This kid, he kicks in the door, boom. He walks through the door. He's running at me with a knife and all of the kids are like, oh my God. And I'm, I'm still like convinced that I've traumatized some of them. But they're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And he runs up to me and I take this rock and I throw it at him. And when I talk, maybe you've noticed this, but I get kind of passionate. And so I have some extra energy in me and I'm like, get out of here. I throw it at him, hit the guy in the head. He's laying on the floor. I'm like, wow, that's really good acting or I'm going to prison. Like one of the two, the guy's laying there on the floor. He he gets up, they play the scary music, eventually he leaves, and all everybody in the room is like, oh, that was amazing. And then I get the phone call from the parents. 
And a couple days later, a couple weeks later, as I'm expecting to hear stories from students and parents about how awesome that message was and about how incredible I got these points across about how God is powerful and he's in control like we talked about uh, yesterday and, and, and just these, these amazing like implications from this story. Instead, I get, wow, that was actually the most um, terrible thing that you could have done in the middle of a church service that was so irresponsible, it was negligent, I'm calling your boss. Uh, that was from the parents, from the students, they came up to me and I was expecting again, wow, what an incredible sermon, this is how God spoke to me. And instead, I got, that was so cool how that guy almost stabbed you and I didn't get my point across at all. And so the point of me sharing this story with you is that they missed the point of what I was trying to get at. And now that was very clearly my fault, but they missed the point nonetheless. Why do I share that story with you? Uh, because uh, I want to address an issue that I feel like oftentimes people like us have, well-meaning Christians, when we study God's word and we try and apply it to our life. And that is the temptation to look at broken, jacked up, uh, imperfect people that God uses to do incredible things. And we leave spaces like this and camps like this and churches like this thinking, gosh, I, I, I just want to be more like those people. Uh, my fear is that you'll be going down the mountain on Friday and you'll be super jazzed and your faith will be energized and you'll have courage to live out your faith. But the motivation behind you doing that is, wow, I wish I could just be more like, insert the name. Wow, I, I really just want to be obedient like Daniel. I wish I could just have faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I, I, I wish if I could just possess the wisdom like my leaders have, if I can just be like fill in the blank, then I would suggest that, friends, you've missed the point. Now, now hear me. There are traits and there are qualities that we see in, in Daniel and his friends and in the lives of those around you that you look up to you that I think that we should all possess, like, like wisdom and courage and obedience. And we'll spend time looking at stories about how faith and trust and obedience are modeled well from these people in these stories. But I want us to first realize before we touch any of these amazing stories that their lives and the reason why they are recorded in this book is not because we want to highlight them and make them seem as if they're superheroes. The reason why their story is relevant is because God wanted to use them to display his power through them with the point of making himself known, hear me, this is important, in hopes that we would be more like him. And the church said amen. So as we read, I want you to circle or highlight or, or make a note of the frequency as you hear these phrases, God gave, God changes, God removes, God reveals, and God knows. Friends, this is important. The book of Daniel is not about Daniel. The book of Daniel is about God who would continue to lovingly and unashamedly and unapologetically bless, protect, use, and save his people which should motivate us to faithfulness and obedience ourselves. So yesterday we began to unpack the question, how do we live with resilience as followers of God? And we looked at the point that our hope or our, our home is in heaven. 
I want to add to that today as we continue to discover what this theme means for our life. And I want to focus on another aspect of that. And that's this. If you're taking notes, I would suggest you write this down. In order to live with resilience as followers of God, you must fear God and not man. In order to live with resilience as followers of God, you must fear God and not man. What does it mean to fear God? To fear God means to honor and respect him, and that would cause you to obey him no matter what. I'll say that again for those of you that are taking notes. I know I talk fast. I'm Puerto Rican. Trust me. Fearing God means that you ought to honor and respect him, and that honor and respect would cause you to obey him no matter what. If you have a Bible, we're going to be starting in verse three today, and we're going to move through verse seven to start. Starting in verse three. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, which are those that live in Babylon. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah, or those Israelites. And of the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. That's going to be tough. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. 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 So the king, he, he ensured that those taken from Jerusalem into Babylon, from that exile, the, the, the first wave of people into exile, they were of high status. So they were royal. They were intelligent. And don't miss this. They were teenagers. So the king probably thought that because they were young, they could be easily taken advantage of. Anybody in the room ever feel like just because you're young, some people try and take advantage of you? This is what the king thought of these people likely. He was anticipating them being fearful and therefore willing to do whatever it took as long as it would make their life easy. And so he teaches them their language he gives them an ancient, prestigious university style of education, and he even changes their diet. And in three years, he would examine them to see if they were worthy to, to serve with him in his royal court. And here's the interesting thing. He even changed their names. And so the names Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah, they all have meaningful names connected to the one true God. The, the name Daniel, it means God is my judge. And the king changes his name to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, protect him. Bel was one of the gods that the Babylonians worshipped, one of the lowercase g gods that didn't exist. The word Hananiah, the name Hananiah, it means God has been gracious. What a great name. And the king changes it to Shadrach, which is the command of Aku, the god of Babylon. Mishael means who is what God has made me to be. And the king changes his name to who is what Aku has made me to be, which is Meshach. And then Azariah 
means the Lord has helped. And Abednego, the servant of Nego, another Babylonian god. So why does he do this? The king was trying to indoctrinate them, hoping that this would even begin to impact who they believed themselves to be. It wasn't just what they did. It was now who they are, who they were. They were Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar believed that he could manipulate teenagers to do his bidding because they were young. Why is that relevant to you this morning? Because the world that we live in and the people that do not know God, they think the same of you. They think the same of you. How can you live resiliently for God by fearing and respecting and honoring him? It all starts here. You don't get to check out. Realize that even at a young age, you can, and not only that, but you are commanded to by scripture to fear him. The world thinks, oh, these teenagers, these young people, they'll, they'll do anything that makes them, them feel good for a moment. They'll believe anything as long as it means that they'll be accepted by people that honestly probably don't even care about them. Oh, they're just fearful. They're lazy. They're immature. You know what the scripture says about you? You know what the Lord says about you? Write this down, 1 Timothy 4.12. 1 Timothy 4.12. This is what God thinks about you. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young, but be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Amen? 1 Timothy 4.12. Absolutely, 1 Timothy 4.12. We're going to continue on reading. Look at verse 8 with me. And so the king says, this is the food that you're going to eat, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He is disobedient to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel, he resolved or he settled it in his heart that he would not eat this food that the king had assigned to him. And this was probably because it belonged to the king. And so it seems like to Daniel, eating this food that the king had provided for him would have somehow aligned him with the king, giving off the appearance that he welcomed this new Babylonian lifestyle. And so in this defiance, Daniel is saying, I will not participate in what will give off the appearance that I support what I clearly do not stand for. Daniel says, I'm not a Babylonian, and so I will not eat the king's food. It is not who I am, so it will not be what I do. Christians, we need to adopt this kind of resolve. When it comes to all forms of sin, when it comes to all forms of evil, when it comes to gossip, when it comes to hate, when it comes to greed, when it comes to anything that is not in line with God's word, it is not who you are, so it ought not be what you align yourself with. It ought not be what you practice. It ought not be what you do. You honor God when you start living like you are a child of God, and therefore you should not act like you don't know him. Picking it up in verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths 
who are of your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, then test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of our youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Verse 14. And so this chief listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Has anybody in here seen the Lion King before? Lion King, let me see the hands. Lion King, sweet, hands down. Um, this is a perfect uh, camp conversation that I have often when I take students up here and I'm a leader myself. Um, the top three best Disney movies all time, uh, Lion King, Nightmare Before Christmas, and then every Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And it's in that order, there's no debate. Talk about it with your, your, your camp leader. Um, but in the, in, the, in the movie, The Lion King, sh- 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 in the movie, The Lion King, um, we see a perfect example of this. Uh, if you remember, in the beginning of the movie, you have this lion named uh, Mufasa, Simba's dad, and he is king, and people love him. The animals, the zebras, uh, the, the giraffes, you name it, right? In the beginning of the movie, they all come, and they, and they see Simba being born, and they love him, and you, and you can see like uh, the, the painted picture of how well things are going by how the trees are growing and how happy everyone is, and it's because they honor, they love, they respect Mufasa because he leads well, And then what happens in the absolute worst movie moment of all time, which made me bawl when I was five years old and I watched this for the first time. Mufasa's hanging from a cliff as Scar has his paws in his hands. And what does Mufasa say as he falls? Scar. And Scar takes over. And then we immediately see a shift in the way that the kingdom is being governed. All of a sudden you see the plants start dying, and you see darkness settle in over the land. All of a sudden, you see animals lose their lives, and all of a sudden, because of the way that the king ruled in submission, sorry, with punishment and fear, he was doing this in a way to get his people to submit, and now everybody was cowering before the king because they were scared of him. And so in a similar sense, King Nebuchadnezzar, he ruled by scaring people into submission with punishment. In verse 10, the chief says that he won't help Daniel because check this out, he fears the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. So if the chief, he changes Daniel's diet and the king notices that he starts looking unhealthy, then the chief could very literally be put to death. And so Daniel then goes to his own supervisor and he asks the same question and this man agrees and they're allowed to only eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days. Here's the contrast that we see in the text. The officer feared the king. He was scared of him, and so he obeyed Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel feared the Lord, and so he obeyed God. Where do you land? Are you making choices? Are you building your life? Are you deciding if you'll be obedient to God and his word in the fear of how you think people might judge you or treat you? Or are you committed to obeying God whatever the cost Verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, what happens? At the end of the 10 days, it's seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. 
And so the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables. And so we are going to learn about some incredible stories uh, starting tonight, I, like my favorite stories in Daniel. It's going to be amazing. We're going to continue to learn about the exile, and we're going to learn about lions, and we're going to learn about fire, and uh, the, the king having supernatural dreams, and we are going to rightly be in awe of God's power And yet it is in this miracle that we learn such an important truth. You would have to consume, friends, an unimaginable amount of vegetables in order to put on weight. Now, I'm getting older, and so I decided that I needed to start eating vegetables. I did. Um, My diet has, before this, before like I was 25, was just like microwave macaroni and cheese and Hot Pockets. And then recently, my wife was like, hey, you need to start adding some greens to your diet. And so just recently, I started like eating like broccoli and things of that nature. And here's something that I learned. Uh, Vegetables fill you up quickly. And the reason why they're such a good diet food is because they're very low in calories. And so the reason why a lot of people add a lot of greens and vegetables to their diet is because they don't don't go to bed hungry, and yet they can still lose weight. And so here's, here's like the point. Uh, it would be very difficult, very difficult for you to remain the same weight if you changed all of your food to vegetables. You would have to eat an obscene amount of, how many of you guys love Brussels sprouts? I actually really like Brussels sprouts. I, I do. All right. How many of you guys like broccoli? How many of you guys like lettuce? Right? And then you could just name and go on and so forth and all those things. Um, If you were to change your entire diet to just vegetables, I would put money on it. Maybe I shouldn't do that, right? But like I would bet a lot that you would lose a lot of weight, regardless of how much you decided to eat, because again, they're low in calories. And so that's one side of the coin. The Bible doesn't say that they just stayed the same, it says that they put on weight. Do you realize how challenging that would be? Now, not only that, but this weight was noticeable in 10 days. You wanna know the reason why a lot of people give up on their diets? Because you have one salad, you don't eat the donut, and then you expect to lose 15 pounds in three days. That's not how diets work. It's not. It takes months and months and months of dedication for you to be noticeably different. And what the Bible says here in this small little detail is that they eat vegetables. And not only do they maintain their weight, they put on weight and it's noticeable in 10 days. Hear me, friends, it's impossible. And yet they do it. It is in this seemingly small act of God that we learn so much of his power Friends, the same God that created the universe, that hung the stars in the sky, that placed the planets where they are. The same God that created the beasts of the fields like the lions and the whales. The same God that created you, the Bible says, and knit you together in the womb of your mother and knows every hair on your head. That same God that, 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 that shows his power in all of these miraculous acts is the same God that can, can control the caloric density of food. So it's easy to get caught up thinking that God is only involved in things we deem as important because of how miraculous they seem. Oh my goodness, my, like, like I got that grade and I've been studying for so long and it's like a miracle of God that I passed this class. Like that's incredible. Wow, my, my dad's been out of work and he finally got that job. Praise God. Like he, he gave him something. My, my parents' marriage has been rocky and God healed the marriage and they're back together. Praise God. He healed that person. He saved that person. Thank God he moved. And to all of those things, I would agree with you. Yes and amen. Thank God that he moves in powerful ways. But at the same time, 
Oftentimes we miss verses like this that remind us that it is God that is also involved in even the smallest details of our life. If God can control what food would do to our body, I cannot imagine the level of involvement he has in matters that we never think about. Friends, I did not force the blood to go through my veins this morning when I woke up. I did not cause myself to breathe as I slept. I did not control the cells in my body that are doing God knows what. And I am not like aware of how many times I blinked today before I stood in chapel with you. What should that do for our faith as we think about how we should honor God? It should deepen our love and our appreciation and our trust for who he is and what he does. Verse 17, we'll finish here. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in his kingdom. And so scripture makes it clear that it was God who actually gave them the skill, the wisdom, and the understanding that Nebuchadnezzar tried to through intense schooling. The Bible says that they were 10 times better than not only all of their other classmates, but everyone else in Babylon that the Babylonians would have considered to be the wisest, the smartest, the most intelligent, those that would have had the most insight into what they believed to be gods. These people, God's people, Hananiah, Mishael, they were the ones with the wisdom and the skill. They were now set up to be used by God in a special way, and we'll study more in the coming sermons about how he does that. But for now, what do these verses teach us about how we can live a life where we would be resolved to fear God and obey him through all of life's challenges and pressures? This is important. Write this down. You have to know God to truly obey him. You have to know God to truly obey him, to truly and rightly obey him in the way that he wants you to. You won't obey who you don't know. You won't obey who you don't know. And so since the Bible contains everything that we need to know in order to grow in our understanding of who God is and what he wants for us, for some of you that means making Bible reading a regular habit. For others that means Finally asking your leader that question that you've been confused about that's preventing you from growing in your faith. And yet for others of you, it means that you ought to come to know God because as you've been in these chapels and spent time in conversations and been in worship, you're slowly beginning to realize that maybe you don't know him at all. As we're starting to consider some heavy subjects about faith, I want you to take an honest soul check and ask yourself these questions. Do you know God or do you know things about God? Is he your everything, or are you only going to him because you want him to give you everything that you want? Do you crave being near to him, or are you content with just being next to people that are religious and being at religious practices and religious programs? Do you want to please God with your faith through obedience, or are you okay to just go through the 
the winds and the waves of life, only being obedient when it doesn't cost you anything significant. Do you know God? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we, we do. And we recognize that the only way that we can love you is because you first loved us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity today to sit under your word and have it being taught. God, thank you that you're doing something in this room. God, as you're stirring our faith, I see it on our faces. God, would you help us to have clarity about uh, the truth of your word and the gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.